0: Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have big buck killer Phil Kramer on the line. And the last time we had talked, I was about to head to Mexico for our hunts. Uh, and Phil had been down scouting and was headed pretty quickly there for his hunts uh, there in January for Coos Deer. And uh, so we're going to do a little recap and see see how Phil did and Kick into that brain of his, phil How you doing?
1: I'm doing really good, Jay. Thank you. Um, you bet. Uh, I don't know about that whole big buck killer thing, but uh, give her a shot <laughs> when I
0: can. <laughs> you know, this year, um, I, I guess one of the things we have to look forward to is we're both turkey hunters, until so we've got the spring. You know, in, here in Arizona, it feels like spring's already here, and it feels like we never had a winter this year. Um, But it's kind of hard to swallow the fact that we've got to wait, you know, 11 more months uh, for coos Gear hunting again down in Mexico, uh, down there in the rut. But uh, how was it? Last time we talked, you were going to be heading down pretty soon, and you had some high hopes, had been running cameras. And, um, yeah, how how did it go? Well, it was a uh, different type of year. Um, than what
1: we've experienced in the past, and you're, you're absolutely right. I had a bunch of high hopes and expectations and just, you know, visions of uh, monster bucks running around all over the place and rutting like crazy, and we got down there. Um, we actually made a number of trips, but we got down there first in uh, January there after going down in December and scouting and setting some more cameras, and I think we crossed the border around the 12th, uh, somewhere in there, and 13th maybe. But we got down, and it was extremely hot still. What Uh, were your temps? They were 91 um, in the day. It it was scorching hot, and they were only dropping down into the uh, high 40s at night for the most part. The later we... We were there. It started to cool off a few more degrees and started getting down into the low 40s at night, um, but it was still getting up into the low 80s during the day, so it uh, it was hot and dry. Um, no moisture in the air whatsoever. There wasn't any dew, uh, you know, overnight, and when you'd wake up, everything was still just, just really dry, which kind of was a catch-22 for us. Um, you know, it, it definitely... Brought a lot of animals into the water to get a drink throughout the day, but it really seemed to slow the the deer movement and the uh, the amount of rutting activity that we saw. So it was uh, definitely a different type of year, like I said, but we still had some some really good activity at, on the water sources, but not near as much while we were glassing um, and hunting. You know, anything but the water. So uh,
0: that just to recap, so Bill, um For the listeners maybe that haven't caught our prior podcast where we talk a lot about and go in depth about desert ranches and mountain ranches, you're hunting a desert ranch, you're hunting kind of permiseo area proximity, uh, general area, you're hunting more of that low desert, thick desert, a lot of cactus, a lot of Palo Verde, a lot of that lower kind of desert, real deserty, kind of flatter, some hills, but a lot of kind of you know, a lot of flats, um, your repressos are the big, big water tanks, dirt tanks that are, you know, when they're full, they could be a hundred, 150 yards across. And then when they, when it's dry, they could be either dry or, you know, five yards across and the size of a small swimming pool to, you were talking about, I believe you were calling them cinderos. I forget exactly what you were calling them, but the, the pilas or the water troughs, um, You were going to have to focus kind of on those water troughs. Once you got down there in January, what was the dirt tank situation as far as the repressos and how much of them had water and how much moving your stuff to the pilas, uh, you know, how much of that did that help you? when we got down there
1: um... in january you know we had been down late in december as well so we really didn't have to move many of our setups um, but what we did notice was the tanks that still had water uh... they were the same ones as they they were in december but like you said they were shrunk down the majority of them were shrunk down to uh... the size of a small car versus you know a hundred yard across tank that we normally experience Um, When we had gone down in December, I spent a lot of time putting up uh, cameras and blinds and clearing shooting lanes on a lot of the bevendettos or the the drinkers, um, you know, pilas or whatever the word is you would like to use for them, but the man-made water versus the dirt tanks and playing a hunch that we'd probably have to spend some time hunting those. And what I had found when we got back down there was I, I really had to rethink some of my previous um, thought processes on the bevendettos because i've always believed that the deer would prefer the the big repressos and have the dirt tank versus that drinker and even though we had some water still in dirt tanks down there we were finding that a lot of the bucks were coming into the bevendettos and they were using those as their primary water sources even though there were still puddles left in the dirt tank. So it kind of made me rethink some of my previous notions that I had. And I, I do believe that they're still pretty strong, but I think more than anything, those a lot of those bucks didn't like wading out through all the mud to get to the water and actually get a drink. So, um, you know, we focused on some bevanettos, and, and we were uh, successful in doing so. Actually, our biggest buck that we took this year was off of a bevendetto um, that i had set up a blind on previously in december and we had cleared a long i'd say eighty to a hundred yard shooting lane to the bevendetto and uh, my buddy tim set that after a buck we had named texas and a big four by four with some extras and uh, you know really heavy mass and i think he killed him on like the sixth day that we were down there in january Um, he ended up going 125, just a gorgeous deer, and that was off of Bevendetto. So we, uh, we definitely re-evaluated um, some of our setups and focused a lot more on, on the Bebandettos because it was so dry, and that seemed to be where a lot of the activity was coming in um, in certain areas. And sure enough, just a week ago, um, we had two guys go down there to try and fill their tags that hadn't filled them earlier. And another buck was killed off of Bevendetto, a really gorgeous three by three. Um, Pat McCarty with Shadow Valley Outfitters killed him actually, and so we were split, you know, between Bevendettos and Repressos this year. But it it still worked out, and even though we didn't have that really strong rutting activity while we were down there, we were still able to make good on on our hunts and and utilize that water to be successful, which as you said, on the desert, desert ranches is a really important part of the, the hunting structure because you don't have those big peaks that you can get up there and get the big glass out and spend time trying to pick the countryside apart. We do have some areas that we do that and um, this was the first year that I can remember that we didn't kill a buck off of uh, you know spotting and stalking. Every deer we killed
0: was, was off of water this year. That- opens up a bunch of questions that i have one would be the, the 125 inch deer that tim shot b- before you built the shooting lane and the blind did you know that that deer was using that Bevendetto? or was it a welcome surprise when you got there and checked the camera that yes that blind that you had built paid off because now he was hitting there, or was that a buck you already knew about?
1: Well, it's kind of twofold. It was a buck we knew about, um, but we were getting pictures of that buck hitting a represso that's right, I would say, within 150 yards of the Bevendetto, and the main reason why I cleared the lane to the Bevendetto was because I wanted the ability to sit that blind and be able to see both the represso and the bevendetto. At that time, we did not have one picture of that deer hitting the bevendetto when I set up the blind and and cleared the shooting lane. Um, I really thought that the represso might have a chance on going dry before we finished our hunt, so that was another reason why I set it up that way. Um, During our hunt, the represso still had water, but the buck had, had shifted his patterns, and started coming in primarily to the Bevendetto. So when Tim got down to hunt um, that area, he actually moved the, the way I had it set up a little bit so he could focus more on the Bevendetto and see out the side window, per se, on the Represso. Um, and sure enough, that buck, in the six days, he came in twice at, in the middle of the night, and both times were at the Bevendetto. And then on the sixth day, he came into the bevendetto and uh, I think it was like 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning. And he never, from the time, from December on through January, he never came into the represso anymore. He always came into the bevendetto at that point.
0: Did other deer using the represso also move to the bevendetto? And and if the answer is yes, can you attribute that to the mud and them potentially as a defense mechanism thinking that they're going to get, you know, stuck in the mud and not be able to get out? Or is it, a, well, I guess it's a twofold question, or do you think it's they get in the mud and they can't run out fast enough if a lion were to circle them?
1: Well, it it was kind of interesting because the bigger bucks um, quit using the repressal altogether. Now, they would still come mill around it, but they wouldn't come in and get a drink okay. at it. The the bigger bucks, we had several other bucks that were you know just over 100 and up to 110 using that same uh, water source, and they all transitioned over to the Bevendetto. Now the younger bucks, the does, the fawns, or yearlings, they continue to use the Represso quite frequently. Um, so I don't know if it's more of an age thing that the older bucks got are getting smarter or more cautious, or it's just the fact that the older bucks didn't want to deal with the mud simply for the fact that it's easier to go to the Bevan Ditto and get a drink. Um, but it was, it was really interesting to see that and document it, not only sitting it, but also with our cameras. The majority of the deer, I would say 40%, of the deer moved over to the bevendetto that were previously using the represso, and then the other 60% continued to use both. It didn't seem to bother them one way or the other.
0: What did the cattle do? Did they use both, or were you able to establish any sort of pattern with them as well?
1: On this area, the the cattle weren't there. Um, We actually had the cowboys move them out of that pasture um, around November, so we didn't have to worry about them. Um, we, we had several repressos that were um, going dry, and surprisingly enough that the cattle continued to use them right up until they just couldn't get a drink anymore. Um, you know, I'm used to, once a, they get to a certain point, typically the cowboys will, re, will fence them off so the cattle did not get stuck, but it seemed to be down there that they had hard enough bottoms that they'd sink through the mud, and then they could get through and get out and like i said the cattle continued to use them until
0: there wasn't any water left you know it makes me think of a story and i'm curious if you've seen it it's off the subject but i i used to turkey hunt on the san carlos a lot and i can't tell you how many times i came up to some of those big um dirt tanks on the san carlos indian reservation and there'd be literally cattle stuck in the mud and they can't get out have you ever seen that in your turkey hunts up there? I have. I've seen it in the turkey hunts,
1: and I've actually seen it um, up north in both Unit 10 and some of the, the multi-units um, in the early summer before the monsoons have started that yeah. I've I found a lot of dead cattle and, and cattle stuck in the mud that have recently died um, that way. And I've actually found a few elk as well up there. So Yeah. That's kind of what made me think about it when, when you brought up that question about the cattle. So.
0: Yeah. Okay, so Tim sits, he changed it a little bit so he could see the bevendetto and he could see the represso, thinking that the buck had been patterned all fall, so to speak, on the represso, but then the change came from December. Then he started up, in, you know, up before the hunt, he switched to the bevendetto but he wanted to have the ability if he came to either or. Um, and then so he shot on the sixth day and the buck just came sauntering in at 10 o'clock in the morning. Was he, were you there when he shot and what was the, what was, was he elated? Um, I was not there. I had, I was actually sitting in another tank um,
1: pretty close to it. I, I heard the shot. It was one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm sitting another water hole and, I heard the shot clear as day, and the instant thought through my mind was, well, Texas is dead, and, uh, you know, I was happy about it, of course, and he was able, Tim was able to get the shot on on video. Um, The buck came in, and he, like most bucks, into, into water, you know, he was really cautious, and he was kind of circling around, and Tim had watched a number of deer hang up out there about 120 yards maybe, a little less than that in a group of trees in the shade, so Tim had actually taken time to find some shooting lanes through that if this buck did it, and sure enough, he walked right in there, hung up, surveying the area, and, and Tim made good on the shot right there. Um, it, it was really neat because some of the cowboys were in the area, too, and they had heard the shot, and they went over and saw the buck. and um everyone was just on cloud nine you know we we (laughs) knew he was a big buck but we didn't know he was quite that big and you know when you walk up on something and he grows on the ground it's always a great feeling so the cowboys then had come over and got me um you know and told me that Tim had killed that buck and so we all knew and boy as soon as I got my hands on him I was like wow that
0: that is (laughs) a great (laughs) deer that's what that's what you're down there for is, is a deer like that um earlier i'm not sure if it's the last podcast or the podcast before that maybe it was the recap after last year you had said there were a few deer that you really had your eye on and were had high hopes for was texas one of those deer or was he one that blew up this year you know coming out of nowhere um, Texas was
1: not one that we had our eyes on last year. Texas was actually um, on a ranch that we just picked up this year. Um, okay. We didn't have okay. it in our arsenal last year, so um, we did not know about them until we got you know cameras down there uh, in November. And then we picked we yeah. them up. So. Um, okay. Kind of something similar, though, I, we did talk about, you know what I call the holdover bucks or the bucks that we didn't take last year and I I was pretty worried about a lot of them not showing up and it was a a lot of them still didn't show up and I'm not a hundred percent sure if if they've moved off and or if it was simply a fact that the rut wasn't really kicking strong Um, we did take two of the bucks that we were really hoping to that we didn't last year um, they didn't necessarily blow up, but they were on our hit list last year and we were able to do it this year. So um, Some of them showed up and some of them didn't, so I'm really interested to see what next year brings and see if some of the ones that we didn't get this year show up next year as we've had happen before. We've had bucks skip a year that didn't show up and then show up again, and um, obviously we've had some that we've never seen again, and you got to assume that they've been killed or... Um, either by another hunter on a neighboring ranch or a predator. So,
0: For sure. Um, of, of the two bucks that you kind of were hoping that did show up that, that ended up showing up and you guys got killed, I'm always curious from one year to the other. Obviously, age, genetics, um, it all plays into how much bigger were they, and I love checking out your Instagram. Uh, for those listening, check out Kramer Hunt's um that's what the c kramer hunts um but have you posted pictures from last year's antler configuration to this year and if you haven't maybe maybe could you and then number two is did those bucks indeed grow or were they the same you know basic size
1: okay um i I have not posted um the ones that we were able to kill Uh, i will for sure without a doubt Uh, i've got to get a couple more cameras um downloaded and some more of the pictures up so i can post them but what i really noticed about the two bucks and and also another one that's a very distinct distinguishable buck that i call the imposter his his beams cross over it in front of each other we've followed him now for three or four years um we got really good pictures of him this year we were not able to kill him again and he really blew up um in his body more than anything and he added mass and he added g4s on each side um that's like scorable
0: G4s or just, just no? Yeah,
1: scorable. Um, I figure yeah. they're an inch and a half to two inches. Uh, so he went from
0: mainframe three to now he's a four-by-four? Four? Yep, he sure did. He sure did. And and, you know, and did he add, like, bladed beams and just totally mature out, or do you think he's a buck that, you know, could really keep going next year and, and just even more bladed and more mature I think he's coming into his prime right now. His
1: body size is what really impressed me more than, say, the inches he added on his rack, and he added a significant amount of inches, but I think he's just now coming into his prime, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do next year because, he, like you said, he went from a mainframe G3 or a 3x3 to a mainframe g Four by four, and he didn't really blade out the beams or blade out the eye guards, but he he added some more length, he added some more mass, he grew an extra tine on each side, but his body size is what just really impressed me, and that to me means that he's coming into his prime right now, and I think next year, you know, once that body.
0: Um, needs to be shot
1: structure yeah. and everything just matures that now everything yeah. he grows is going to be going right into that rack and he's he's definitely high on the hit list for next year so the other buck he really did not change length-wise. He didn't add any extras. Uh, We knew last year he was probably reaching his full potential, and just due to the shape of his rack and what he was genetically, we knew he wasn't ever going to be, you know, a 115, a 120. He still went just shy of 110, but he has the neatest rack that I've ever held. I mean, he's got big, bladed, gnarly, bumped-out faces and eye guards and um just added a lot of mass and a lot of burrs and a lot of bumps and um he's one of those deer that score just doesn't do it justice it's all about yeah. holding that buck and looking at that buck and saying this is really cool um the great thing about it was he we've been watching him for a number of years now i think this was the fourth or fifth year we've had him on camera and um we knew that's, that's what he was, and that fit one of our hunter's bills. And it was, you know, one of those things. He picked out that buck. He said, I'm not shooting another buck. And he actually did not kill him on the first trip in January, so he went back and he killed him on the last
0: day of the last hunt. Uh, I think it was like the 26th or something. Uh, that's and, awesome. Oh, so he just stayed the course and was after that buck and got him got him
1: killed. Yep, he did he did I was, I was really happy when you know get that message that got it done and got it done on the buck we named Stumpy and it was uh, it was a, one of those things that was just too good to be true and when I saw the buck I was like wow that you know you can get a, a really good idea on what they are on trail camera but until you actually see them in person and hold them um, you know you don't get to see all of the little details and, and the veins and, and the webbing and everything of of the buck so
0: this turned That's out really For cool. sure. That brings up a question I know I've asked you before, um, but in your opinion on coos deer, on trail camera photos, and let's say we're talking about bucks that are like 110, 110 and better type bucks. In your opinion, hard antlered, the trail camera photos look smaller on the trail camera photo or bigger? In other words, when you get the buck on the ground, Is the buck typically, uh, in a way, depressing, like, oh, he's smaller, or are they always bigger? you get what I'm saying? Like, do the photos make them look smaller or bigger than they really are? I get what you're
1: saying, and before this year, I would have answered this completely different with all the confidence in the world. And I would have always used to say the bucks are bigger when I hold them, and that's the way it is all the time. Now this year, the Texas, he was almost 8 inches bigger on the ground in person than what we had scored him at looking at probably 60 different trail cam photos at different angles, daylight, nighttime, just about everything you could imagine. And I attribute a lot of that to not being able to see a lot of the scorable points around the burrs. Um, He had a split eye guard that in the majority of the angles you can't see He had a lot more mass that we didn't account for due to a lot of the sunlight or the flash washing it out. But on the flip side of that, I I killed a buck this year that we had a number of pictures on, um, both front angle, side angle, looking away, back, just about every angle, you know, looking down at him as he drank to eye level, and I completely blew the score on that, in the opposite direction. Uh, when I walked up and I put my hands on him, I looked at him, I said, Wow, I messed that up pretty bad. And the I was. Body told, size?
0: Did the body size throw you it, off,
1: or what? It wasn't what body size, and that's what I'm having a hard time with because in the trail camera pictures, he was with other deer. Um, every time I got a picture of him, so it's not like he had just a tiny body compared to everything else. In the trail camera pictures, he had a big, Roman, mature nose, um, deep brisket, sway back, where it looked like he was an old deer. Um, it looked like his, I, I overestimated the length of his beams by four inches almost. Um, it, it really threw me off, and, and I wasn't the only one. I mean, Tim and I study these deer probably to a point where most people would say we're obsessive and completely anal. think? You, know, you think?
0: <laughs> and, uh, I can tell you the answer is yes, you are. Yeah, but, exactly. but I love it. But that's what I love about you. <laughs>
1: exactly. But, I, I, you know, I was completely fooled. And when I brought the buck back into camp, um, I, you know, I was hunting an area where no one really knew that I, they couldn't hear my shot or anything. And when I got back into camp, and Tim's like, did you get him? I'm like, I sure did. And I said, but I need to warn you, it's not what we thought it was, and he came out and he looked at it and he goes, wow, we messed up on that, and I said, we absolutely did, 100%. Now, don't get me wrong, the buck's super cool, he's got another drop tine, you know, I killed the drop tine buck last year, Um, I was able to kill a drop tine buck this year, and he actually had double drops, he had a matching drop on the other side that he had busted off, so just a great deer um i don't want to disrespect the animal by any means Sure, sure. i'm proud so of it you're, but...
0: you take it as a learning as a learning you're not disrespecting them, you're just saying you miss them you're pointing out that you know so other people can learn from quote unquote your mistake of over judging the deer you're not you know you're not taking anything away from the deer one question i would have is like you think sometimes you can and i know it's happened to me where you can like field judge something and then you just kind of go with it and then maybe you get do the beams and then you start taking extrapolating and taking every measurement and if your one measurement that you kind of start with was wrong it kind of changes everything do you think there was some of that where you know you you kind of just went with a beam length and then everything else kind of stacked up from there and then you realize that that's how it happened
1: it i that you nailed it, um, 100%, because I, I've, I've dealt with this now for a couple weeks on trying to figure out what how I could have been that far off. And the first time I saw the buck, the first time I got pictures of the buck was in the daylight, and he was coming in at an angle. And the first thing I saw was his, his rack, the shape of his rack and his beams. And I'm like, wow, he's really tall. His beams curve up. So that right there gave me the baseline of his main beam, and I based everything off of that, thinking, okay, well, if his main, if his main beam is this, then his G3 is this, and his G2 is this, and that eye guards is this, and his drops this, and I never did any other comparison. You know, typically I would look, okay, the length of his nose or the width of his antlers compared to his ears, and start adding all of those factors in. And I never did, and I attribute it to two things. One is I had the first impression of his of his main beam, and that's what I based it off of, and I I overestimated that, and therefore everything else fell right in line that I was off on. But the other thing was, I I believe that I deep down wanted him to be more than what he was. I saw the drop tine, I saw the other one on the other side, and I immediately wanted him to fell be. in love with the deer. Fell yep. in love with the deer, kind of. I did. I did, and I immediately wanted him yeah. to be that. And yeah. I never really tried to add it up any more than that. And even when the buck came in in person the day that I shot him, there was a, a doe at a t- at the tank already, and he came in, and he stood fairly close to her. I never once tried to evaluate him or score him. Um, I, d- I didn't need to. You know, I'd spent enough time looking at it that that's what I wanted. And, and I think if I would have stepped back and had it to do over again, I really believe if I would have evaluated him maybe for five minutes and if I would have had that amount of time. But I'm, I'm saying taking a step back and yeah. looked at the antlers in person, I don't think I would have pulled the trigger. I, I think I would have decided to let him let him go.
0: So. Did it turn out that he was a young deer? It was. Or young? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the downside is if you would have realized it and let him go, you know, what would the droppers turn into next year? But, I mean, it, it, everybody's done it, and it's a perfect example, and I think it's one of those things with sheep, too. Like, you know, you, get, you throw out a base size, and you throw out a horn length, and you just start, you know, plugging numbers in. And if you're wrong, especially on bases, that's why it's so important. And, and it's so, I guess, exaggerated or, or maybe the exacerbated is maybe the better word, like on sheep. Like, if you miss a base and then you start judging, you know, the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter from there, you can be way off. Um, whereas, like, on coos deer, you know, I've seen it before, though, where you just you see a buck, you get a, the right look, and you just kind of fall in love with it, and you're like, that's the buck. I shot a drop time buck last year. I'm shooting another drop. This is awesome double drop time. I mean it, it I mean I wouldn't beat yourself up about it but I'm sure you are as analytical as you are and wanting to be accurate and what have you. still a heck of a buck though. Um, when I look at the buck, I'm looking at your Instagram and I believe your buck's on the far right it's got a drop tying off the right beam and it looks like you can see where there was a fresh break and isn't his left eye guard longer than the right? Uh, yes it, it is, is. Yeah, yeah So I mean and it, he's next to that gnarly buck. Which is that Texas?
1: Yeah, it is. Uh-huh.
0: Yep. You can just see the, the, the rack just from my eye, just looking at, at um from a maturity level standpoint, the bases and the, the 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 mass of the main beam on Texas looks more heavy and more mature. And of course if the two deer were standing side by side, I'll bet it would have hit you like a freight chain. But don't you think sometimes when he's not standing next to another big buck, you can kind of go down the road that you already know what his beans are. You already know and you, you, you kind of, I mean, it's so easy to do. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, it, it's just, I mean, everybody, if someone says they haven't done it, they're, they absolutely haven't done it enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And, um,
1: you know, like I said, the only downfall or the only regret I have is that, he was a young deer. Um, I think if I would have walked up on him and I was off on the score, that's one thing. And then, you know, if I would have opened his mouth and saw he had more teeth down to nothing and he was a really old deer, then that would have changed a little bit. But right. I walked up there and I looked, and I said, man, this buck had a lot of potential. You know, in a yeah. year or two, he could have just been one of those that just jaw-dropper. But, yeah. it, you know, I, it, Life it goes on, it's the way it yeah. is, you know. so Yeah. Um,
0: but, uh, pretty awesome, though, to, pretty awesome to be able to have, you know, that's what, three drop time bucks you've killed? The, uh, it's actually two um, that are intact.
1: I, I killed one a couple years ago that had a really big dropper, and he ended up busting it off. So um, it's two back-to-back that I have, same side, both of them have droppers. I'm actually playing with the idea on, on having his double drop fixed. Um, just to, That'd be uh, cool. That'd be really cool. Like, you know, um, yeah.
0: He grew it. Uh, we have some pictures that, that show, f- for the most part, what it is, So, is. Yeah. Uh, that'd be know. really cool. I think you should do that. I think that'd be really neat. Uh, tell me about your buck as far as hunting, regardless of, of, of the buck not being as big as you thought. As far as hunting your buck, what kind of characteristics did he have as far as the patterns or what have you? Talk a little bit about that.
1: My buck was, I wouldn't say, near as habitual as a lot of the other deer that we targeted and hunted. Um, My buck typically was coming in once every couple days, and he really didn't have a pattern per se of, okay, it's 9 o'clock, he's going to be coming in at 9.05. Actually, the first day I got down there and hunted it, he came in right at dark, I had already got out of my blind. I was making some adjustments. It was the first day I'd sat in it. Um, Normally, when I get out of if I set the blind all day, when I get out of it's when all of the doves start flying in right after sundown, and Mm -hmm. it's just so loud that it covers your noise. And I was outside of my blind, making some adjustments. Just had that feeling something was there. I turned around and he's standing right at the edge of the trees, and my rifle, of course, is on the other side of the blind, and we just <laughs> locked eyes, looked at each other, and I said, well, he came in now, he'll come in again. Um, did he spook, or did you just stay dead still, or what happened? Actually, I, I got down and crawled around, and there was so much commotion with all of the birds coming in and out of the tank, and it was so loud. He looked over there, saw some movement, but really didn't attribute it to anything, and I got around, and I actually looked through him in, in my rifle scope, but there were some trees and branches and everything kind of in, in between. I chose not to take the shot, and finally, he just turned and kind of moseyed off. He, he knew something wasn't right, but he didn't spook, and um, gotcha. Okay, that gave me the confidence that, yeah, he's going to be back, you know. So the next day, um he didn't come in he didn't come in at night either and then the day after that he came in at uh, i want to say it was like nine thirty or 10 o'clock in the morning he just there was a doe drinking at the water um it was the second deer that had come in that day and i looked up and he broke the tree line and came right on in and stood there and i shot him <laughs> and that was that so um yeah the good thing was i had a lot of time after that to do other things and try and help some of the other guys and and look around um the bad thing was i had the rest of that time to think about <laughs> the
0: deer that i did <laughs> <laughs> that was your that was your time of punishment <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, that's good stuff um you you talk about rut you talk about it being hot uh While you were there, when did you come back and did you guys ever notice much rutting activity? Do you think they ended up rutting? Do you think they're rutting right now? Do you think they missed it? Did did they not cycle? What, What do you think was going on?
1: Well, we went down on the 12th and we came back on the, let's see, it must have been around the 22nd, 23rd. And then during that time we saw very very little rut activity at all Uh, there were some small bucks chasing wanting to get in the game the does were having nothing to do with it Um, you know the funny thing was I heard a lot of grunting and snort wheezing and and everything that you know you hear typically on some of the eastern whitetail shows and and that I heard a lot of that down there this year from the smaller bucks the the two and a half year olds—they were really thinking that they were—they were the stuff—and and they were trying it. But the mature deer, there was no rut going on whatsoever, and that was the entire time we were down there. Now, like I said, a couple of the guys went back to try and fill their tags, and they um, just got back, I think, on like the first of February. Yep, that's when they came back, and they killed both of their deer on the 31st of January, and they said they were just starting to see some pretty good rut activity. Um, so I think it was definitely later than we had anticipated. Um, I, I firmly believe it was had a lot to do with the, the moon being later, but also the, uh, the heat. It was just so hot, and it started to cool down some that the, the bucks finally... Uh, I think we're moving, and the does were moving, and they're starting to cycle. So, I, I think it happened. I think I missed the peak of it by quite a bit. And I would, if I had to venture a guess, it would be probably peaking right, right about now down there, judging from what the guys saw and what we saw in our hunts.
0: Will that change your strategy for next year, as far as trying to establish a time when you're going to go down um, or not? Not as much
1: as you know I, it typically would, and the main reason being is we try and time it with the moon. Um, we, you know, we'll make two or three trips throughout the year, starting in November and then December and then in January. But we try and focus our main hunt right around that time when it when it's a dark moon, when um, you know that we don't have that big huge moon up in the in the sky, and you know we don't want those deer doing a lot of their their activities at night. Now, that being said, I think this year was an unusually warm year down there, and it, it kind of slowed everything down, and it was a lot drier than we had been used to. Even you know, Last year was a really wet year for us, and the year before that would be what I would consider a normal year. And so I think we went from a normal year to a really wet year to now a really dry year. And I, I think it's just one of those things that's going to continue to cycle, and... Um, You know, it's going to happen whether we plan for it or not. And I think we'll still try and focus around that middle part of January, depending on the moon phase, to make our our prime or our main
0: hunting trip down there. So with that being said, from your observations of your trail camera pictures, are you 100% – can you confidently say that in your opinion – hunting in dark moon periods where you know new you know dark moon that that the deer the coos deer and I guess you can speak especially where you hunt down there they are on their feet more during the day than any other time period I can I can we'll go you know it's not uncommon
1: throughout you know the time that we have our cameras there that when that moon's up when it's full when it's a new bright, big, full moon, you know, we'll have a lot of nighttime pictures, a lot of deer activity on it. Now, I want to make a little disclaimer here is typically throughout the the fall before you get into the, what I would call the the pre-rut and the rut, we have a lot of nighttime pictures or more nighttime movement than we do during the day, and I think that's strictly due to the heat. But what we have found is when that moon's full, we have a lot of activity at night, and the daytime activity decreases a significant amount. And that's the main reason why I answered your previous question the way I did, is because we can relate the deer activity to the moon phase more so than we can the, the weather or the temperature. And, and we definitely have proven that with the
0: cameras. Good stuff. Um, you have really gotten into trail camera and these deer sitting for these deer. I think you talked before, like, you know, I think you were saying like eight to two, you know, there's no reason to get in the blind at first light. My question is as a group, do you guys still get in the blind in the dark and leave in the dark or do you stick with that you know nine to two you know let's rehash that over again and tell me what you've learned if there was anything new this year or or you know what your pattern is typically getting into your blind and what you're noticing with deer movement you
1: bet we're we're split as a group um, to be honest with you on how we approach getting in the blind and hunting and the hours that we do. And what I mean by that is there are three of us, four of us. Typically we have groups of six, seven, eight guys, somewhere in that range of, of hunters um, because that's you know what the, the ranch house can accommodate and the amount of tags that we typically have and try and keep it at. But normally there's three or four of us that get in before daylight uh, or, you know, before the sun's coming up um, in the dark and let everything calm down. Now, normally we don't have a deer that shows up before 9 o'clock. Um, so it makes for, you know, a fairly long sit without anything really happening. But what we do have is that's typically when the predators are hitting the water and, you, and your coyotes are coming by. and um, So there's activity that's fun, but it's also nice to watch the woods wake up and be a part of it. We have another group that they typically don't get in the blind before seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock every morning um a couple instances this year the guys got in the blind at almost 8 o'clock and they killed their deer before eight thirty, and they were done <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those deals that <laughs> works out now me on the other hand if I'm hunting one particular buck I will I will go in dark to dark um And the reason being, and I I had it happen to me last year, is I killed my buck right before dark last year. This year, if I would have still been sitting in my blind that first day right at dark, I would have killed my buck at dark. So they do come in at different times, even though the pattern doesn't show it. Um, I had a real good friend of mine ask me the other day, he said, during the rut, if you had three hours to pick, only three hours during the day, what time would it be? When would you sit that water? And I could honestly tell him, and I I answered without hesitation. I said 8 to 11. And he goes, you don't want to think about it? And I'm like, no. And I said, that's (laughs) 8 to 11, period. And that's when the majority of our action, the majority of the deer, the majority of the activity happens at the tanks. Now, it it could be more of a a location, um, but that's, That's when everything seems to come in. Now, there's always exceptions to that rule, but that's definitely what we found. A lot of our guys, even the ones that go in and get in in the dark, they'll only hunt or they'll only sit that water until noon, 2 o'clock. If if they're there and they've had a bunch of deer come in and and it slows down between 11.30 and 12.30, they'll get out of the blind and they'll leave. Um, I'm either too stubborn or too... Anal, <laughs> that if I'm hunting one buck, I will stay
0: in that blind all day,
1: day daylight to dark. I mean it. I won't get out of it. Um,
0: it's paid off just for in the, me. Just in the happenstance that he comes in.
1: Yep, yep. It's paid off for me. And the other thing is, I it eats me up if I get out of the blind and then I come back the next day and I check the cameras and he came in and watered 30 minutes after I left. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of these big bucks, you might get one chance or if you're lucky two, but typically one, and that that's about it for the amount of time that we're there. So that's why I sit there and I, I stay committed to it and I don't get out of it. So,
0: How many of your bucks there on the ranch do you feel are home-bodied and, you know, you get pretty consistent on a percentage basis, how many of your bucks are home-bodied and how many of them just show up during the rut? You never see them until the rut. I would say 75 to 80 percent of the bucks that we kill are
1: home-bodied bucks, that we are in their home, um, we're in their living room, we're in their backyard on a day-to-day basis throughout the seasons. And the reason why I say a lot of that is because we find a lot of their sheds. Um, When we're down there, you know, setting cameras and and scouting and looking for sign, um, we found a lot of the buck sheds that we've actually targeted and killed, which which makes it really neat because you can go back years, you know, before and see what they did. But um, I would say the other 30, you know, 35, 20 percent somewhere in there are the buck's that just show up during that, that peak rut or maybe even towards the end of the rut when they're out cruising, when they're out looking for new does, um, maybe even when they're making, you know, uh, a walk about looking for does that haven't been bred or the second cycle per se coming in. Um, and I really believe those are the bucks that we didn't get this year, that they didn't show up, that the the rut had not progressed long enough for us to pick them up. And, and I'm that's my hope anyway you know i'm always always looking for that angle on making me feel better about what we're going to see next year but that is what i'm saying i believe that it's because we're on the very far edges or the outer reaches of those bucks territory and to get them coming into areas that we have a chance to kill them or even get pictures of them you know the rut has to be kicking pretty good and it just didn't happen this year while we were there
0: Roughly how many hectares or how many acres? Just trying to get a sense of home body. How, roughly how big are these properties in general? Um, I would. We have two
1: main ranches that are comprised of smaller pastures, and each one's roughly forty to sixty thousand hectares. They're big properties. Um, oh, so they're giant properties. They are. They are. They're. They're very large ranches. Very large properties. Um, so you're you're saying
0: forty thousand hectares? Forty thousand acres. Sorry. Um, okay. 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 So twenty. So just so people know, hect- if it's ten thousand hectares, it's twenty thousand acres. It's it's basically yeah, one it's, to two two point two basically ratio. Basically half.
1: Uh huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. And,
1: and the reason why I say 40 to 60 is because the ranch that we just picked up this last year, I know it's 60,000 acres because we had, we had done the math on it and got the border. Yeah. But um,
0: yeah. So that's the type of size of, of the properties that we're hunting. Okay. And then with it being a dry year, did you notice anything different in predation as far as I know on the last podcast, and the the picture chain on your Instagram is incredible, showing that um, lion killing that I believe it was a spiked coues buck. Did you notice more or less lions this year, and did you notice more or less coyotes this year, or the same? By far
1: more, and um, not just coyotes and lions. We actually got jaguars this year, and out of all the years, it's you know we've never <laughs> seen one, and we actually got two at one time, um, but the, the other thing about the lions is not just the sheer number of seeing more, like they were more bold, they, they were coming in in the middle of the day, I mean um, it didn't seem that their activity was right at first light or right at last light, I mean it could be 12 o'clock in the middle of the day and here, here would come a lion up over the dike of the tank and get a drink, um, they seemed to really focus around water uh, this year, and I think it's because the water was a lot more, there was less of it to be had, and, you know, so it, it congregated everything at the water hole, and the, the predators, you know, they they were d- taking a toll this year um, on the deer and the javelina and even some of the calves, um, the rancher's calves, we were, we were finding some dead calves that we normally don't see, and. I think it is because it's dry and it, it was congregating everything in a lot smaller area and they weren't making that huge travel area that they might normally in a wet year when there's plentiful water. So it, okay. I hope it doesn't take a lot of our
0: hit list bucks out. Let's put it that way. For, for sure. sure. On the camera, well, were the Jaguars isolated to one represso and, you know, basically on one set of cameras or did you get a chain of them moving throughout the ranch?
1: Nope. We, we caught them on one tank, um, one Represso, and just in that one area only. I think we caught them on four different cameras, but it was all based around that one waterhole. It was actually the waterhole where I killed my drop-time buck this year. Um, it was the same tank. and. And I was on the corner of a ranch, so in in other words, instead of being in the middle of the property or somewhere where we might have picked them up a lot, I think we were just on the corner of their area where they were moving through, and that's why we only picked them up there. But it was definitely a lot thicker area with bigger mountains, and the mountains were, were really paired up and really thick. And I think that's more of their type of terrain that they felt comfortable in versus a lot of the other open flats and rolling hills and stuff. so:
0: Did the, Were the cowboys shocked when you saw that when they saw the Jaguar pictures, or had they been saying, "Yeah, we've seen them or we've seen their tracks? they were blown away by it um you know before I showed them the pictures i said hey have
1: you ever seen a jaguar down here and they're like yeah one and they're like 42 years or something i go "Oh," and um i actually didn't have the pictures with me at the time and tim came back the next day and showed them the pictures and we made copies of them so they could have them and they were amazed uh, um, their their families now have it all over their facebook <laughs> and, and
0: just show <laughs> everyone they
1: can so they thought it was
0: really really neat um obviously was it a male and a female or two males or what was it I,
1: I think it was a male and female we have some a little bit differences of opinion on two looks at the pictures but i think it was a breeding pair yeah that had moved through so. and the funny thing was we got them you know i think three or four times all in one day and then we
0: never saw them again um so interesting yeah did you notice the question I would have is if you know if they hit one tank did you notice a deer were scattered and they didn't they weren't coming in and or were no coyotes and no lions also like in other words they smelled and sensed the jaguars come through so it scared the pants off of everything or did it just seem like business is normal
1: it was business as normal I actually had a lion come in um, the very next morning right over the top where the jaguars had just walked by the, the night before so. Wow. Yeah, it didn't seem to bother anything at all, and surprisingly enough, um, that was one of our higher quantity tanks for the, the number of deers that were coming in, or the number of deer hit that tank, so um, it didn't seem to really affect the numbers, or the activity around it.
0: I can't, who was, who was the first person to pull the camera and be like, dope? Look at that! <laughs> <laughs> I, I was um, actually were? Pat
1: and I were joking about it, yeah, because the first day when we get down there, we split up. I mean, we look like a cubby of quail off to the races that, and we all go out different ways and try and pull as many of the cards and cameras as we can, so we get back and and make a a plan for where we're all going to hunt the next day. And I think it was about eleven o'clock at night and that first night. I mean, everyone's tired. We'd made the trip from Arizona down and. Uh, we'd been going through cards for maybe an hour, hour and a half, and I'm flipping through one, and then I go, uh oh. And it just gets quiet in the ranch house. I mean, no one's making a sound because you don't know A, you got a really big buck, or two, you got a jaguar, you know. And, and Tim looks at me and goes, Does it have a tail? And I go, Yes, it does. And he goes, Jaguar. And everyone jumps up to run over to the computer and see what
0: it looks like. <laughs> so, uh, Unreal. So he yeah, knew just from. Just from the way you were talking, he knew. Yep, he did, he did, and and, you know, we've always talked
1: about, it's like, man, sooner or later we're going to get one on camera, and and we always ask the Cowboys, and they're like, oh no, there's none around, you know, um, so it was pretty neat getting that, and you know, got some
0: video clips of it and everything, and yeah. No wonder those guys don't want to get in their blind till it's light out. <laughs> that's, that's what we were teasing each other about. said, yeah, that's the only reason why you sleep in. You're scared of going out there in the dark. <laughs> I know um, uh, a few years back on one of the Gould's turkey hunts, Hunter Haynes, who, who uh, guides with us in He had gone out and um, was trying to roost some turkeys for us, and he came back, and he was literally like, why does it go? He slammed the door, and he goes, that was a big cat. I go, you run into a lion? He goes, no, a jaguar. (laughs) And he was just all amped up. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I'm following some dang turkeys up a a ridge line in this thick jungle of, tree and he says I hear this noise and I look over and there's a jaguar looking straight at me I go what'd you do he goes I freaked out what do you think I was going to do <laughs> so the next morning I think it was the next I think it was the next morning yeah because he had roosted some birds well we went in there you know at three thirty or three forty-five in the morning because you know in May it gets so light so dang early and I was teasing him because he was freaking we were walking and and um he's like we're just going to go in there in the dark? I'm like, what else are we going to do? So we walk in there, and I mean, the two of us were about as amped up as you could possibly be because, you know, every little noise you hear, you think it's a jaguar coming to eat you. Um, it was, it was, that was pretty funny. I'll never forget that.
1: That is. It definitely adds to the excitement <laughs> put it that way, cause Just knowing that a cat like that's in the area or was in the area, it, it changes the way you go about everything and the way you're looking at different bushes
0: and and where you're going to walk. So for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I remember him. I'm like, did he did he run? And he's like, no, he didn't run. He looked at me like he was going to eat me, and I was just <laughs> laughing. I was like, oh my gosh, I you know put myself in the same situation. I probably would have been, I don't know what I would have done. Right. But But um, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, I had Cat uh, and Bob Dyckman on the podcast, and um, they were talking about going back down to Mexico. I didn't put two and two together, but I saw that they had a Jaguar, and I'm thinking, God, it's crazy to get two pictures of Jaguars. Now it makes sense that you guys were, you know, going together and at the same place. Yeah, um, but that is that is just so neat. I'm looking here on your Instagram. I encourage anybody to go check out Kramer Hunts on Instagram, and there's there's actually I think three or four really good video clips. And man, the 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 strength that those things must have compared to you know you got a lot of lions uh videos on there as well and it's just a whole different animal. I mean that those things are solid muscle. I mean you think lions are solid muscle, those things are stout, man. Yeah, they are built. That is for sure. I was amazed at
1: the size of their paws.
0: I mean just just I'm sure there's been a case where there's where there's like a big big Tom lion and he's the stud duck of the whole area. I'm sure this has happened where He comes across something, and all of a sudden, boom, Jaguar, and he's like, oh, okay, I'm not the biggest one on the campus anymore. Uh, It's crazy, crazy stuff. Well, um, you know, another awesome year. You guys brought brought home in the picture I'm looking at uh, four great bucks um, and just makes you even more excited for next year Another question that comes to mind is you say you don't normally go down till November. Have you ever considered going down there in, you know, um, July and August and trying to get uh, velvet pictures, or is it just so stinking hot that the only photos would be night photos? You know, we, we've gone down and
1: scouted uh, potential ranches that we were thinking about picking up the lease on um, before in as early as October, and October it was just miserable. I mean, yeah. almost unbearable, you know, and yeah. and that's, that pretty much did it for me. I was like, I don't, I don't need to see them in velvet that bad. I can, I can spend <laughs> my time in Arizona <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and get velvet bucks, but um, no, it, it was just really, really, really hot. I would really like to spend some time sooner or later down there and maybe um february march before they've dropped um yeah but you know that's also when we're gearing up for turkeys and and everything so it kind of makes it an inconvenient time but if i had if i had to choose a a time to go down other than when we do already i think that's when i'd I'd try and go down there is february
0: march but um definitely yeah for sure I think one thing about running trail cams, say, in the late spring, you know, running them, say, go down and stack them up, put them them in, you know, say, late February or March and let them run March, April, and into May is you're going to get all of the dry season. I mean, you guys have a great inventory as it is, but, I mean, if if anyone out there is getting a new lease and they really want – and cattle plays a huge factor too. I mean, since it's the dry season, you know, you're going to have tons of cattle picks but if you're fortunate enough to get a ranch that maybe doesn't have cattle or many cattle i think running cameras the whole you know month of 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 april and early may before they drop um you could probably get every buck on the property yeah for sure
1: for sure and and one thing you know about the cattle and we we found out this year is it makes it difficult but any more with the capacity of size of memory cards that these cameras are taking now and the battery life on them, you can afford to get the 6,000, 7,000 pictures of cattle because all you're really looking for is that one or two buck. buck that you need to see. And it makes it hard. It makes it difficult. The guy has to really force himself to sit there and go through each picture. But we proved it this year on a number of bucks we would have never seen if we wouldn't have put some of those cameras on some of those bevendettos that we've never done before um so whether we ended up with new bucks or whether those bucks have been there all along and we just never target them uh we don't know but we definitely learned a lesson this year that whether the cattle are laid up there during the day or not we're going to put cameras on it
0: because it's paid off so good stuff good stuff um what do you set your? I think we've asked you this before. What do you? What do you set yours on a custom setting, um, and how does that change throughout? You know, say December and then on into the rut. What settings do you set them on? Uh, we do.
1: We do. When we first go down in November, we have them on pretty healthy delays. So, in other words, we might do a three-shot burst. And then have a five minute timeout. So, even if there's still activity there, it's not going to take another picture for five minutes. On some of the areas that are really, um, that have a lot of cattle in the area, we'll actually bump that delay up sometimes 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then still have a three shot burst. Then, when we go back in, in uh, December, late December, we'll start moving that to where we have a three-shot, five-shot, six-shot burst and only a minute delay because what's happening is is the deer activity is increasing typically we've talked to the cowboys and they've moved some of the cattle out of different pastures but then when we go back in January and we first make our big run of all of our cameras we move all of them unless, unless they're on a bevanetto that has a bunch of cattle laid up We'll we'll move all of them almost into rapid fire mode where they're not having a little delay. So every time they sense movement and heat, they're taking a picture. And that's
0: good stuff.
1: It, it's a number of factors, but mainly because the deer activity's picking up, we're down to crunch time. We need to get every picture we can of whatever deer that comes in. And then also we're there on a more frequent basis where we can check the batteries and change the cards and stuff. So
0: sure, yeah, good stuff. Uh, I want to take just a second and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank go Hunt Insider uh, for their sponsorship of this podcast and remind you guys, the listeners, that you can sign up for an Insider membership by going to GoHunt.com uh, forward slash J. Scott and using the J. Scott promo code. Uh, you can also just go on GoHunt.com and just click on Sign Up for Insider. But if you use the J. Scott Promo code, you're going to get a fifty-dollar uh, Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card, and with that gift card, I just had uh, someone uh, send me a message that they were able to get two of those uh, Yeti uh, cups for their coffee um, with that fifty dollars through that uh, Go Hunt Gear uh, Gear Shop, uh, and I thought that was a pretty cool thing just for signing up. Uh, and as you know, Phil, you've just applied for Arizona. Uh, the draw odds uh, on Go Hunt are the most accurate draw odds out there, and I want to encourage you guys to get a Go Hunt Insider membership. Uh, also, want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, uh, Jason Harrison and his crew. I know Phil, you like wearing the Kuyu gear as well as Dar and I do, and um, pretty much anywhere we go on hunts, uh, seeing you know more and more guys uh, switching to Kuyu. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Phonescope.com. use the J. Scott 16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all Phonescope products. I want to thank Cheston Davis over there at Phonescope for his support. And then uh, the Outdoorsman, the Optics Authority here in Arizona, formerly of Phoenix, now moved to Fountain Hills. Uh, Cody Nelson and his crew, if you use the J. Scott promo code there at the Outdoorsmen, you're going to get A 10% discount I want to remind you guys the listeners that I will be at the Western hunting Expo this Friday and Saturday I'll be walking around I'd love to shake hands meet you uh, share some of your stories and hear some of your stories uh, see some of your trophies and what have you Um, look me up if you see me there and remind you also all four of my sponsors will be at the show make sure you stop in introduce yourself uh, check out the products uh, if you haven't already, uh, and uh, let them know you're a podcast listener, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Phil, just another awesome year, uh, you know, fuels the flames for, uh, you know, looking forward to next year and getting after it again. Uh, Darn I, uh, we had one of those bucks uh Uh, We had a really, really nice non-typical buck that we had seen in December and um, videoed him. We could have shot him. He was, you know, 500 yards from us in December and, you know, got some video of him and just a spectacular buck and honestly thought he was going to give us the slip. We had drawn numbers for um, which guide and which, you know, we kind of established, you know, we had four guides for our hunters. And who was going to hunt with who? And then we put names in a hat and just drew out. And um, that stinking buck, uh, we thought he disappeared. You know, he had a little bit of a limp the day we videoed him. We didn't know, you know, what was going on. And come to find out, the sixth evening, Doug Jenkins uh, was hunting with me, and um, and uh, uh, Sean Dereamer and Ron McClintock. We were all hunting together. They're from Oregon. They're all buddies, and. We went right back to the spot, and they said, take us right where, the, where you saw the buck, and boom, Doug glasses him up right at last light. And, and we kind of made a plan to have, you know, two shooters, one up high where the buck went, and then one down low where the buck was videoed and where Doug first saw him, and he kind of made a move that night. And uh, I was up high with Doug thinking, you know, Doug saw him, so we kind of went up there thinking he was going to stay up well a huge windstorm in the middle of the night he moved back down off this ledge and anyway make a long story short sean uh dar spotted him sean got him shot and just a just an unreal buck i know you've had a chance to see the pictures but it's one of those bucks that just you know we we we, we all as cooster hunters i mean i'm just honored to one have seen it in december but then two to to get it on the ground and get to hold it and um check it out it's just an un, unreal buck uh, He's actually uh, um, get, uh, having Weller's down in Tucson mount the buck, and um, I can't wait to see it mounted. Oh, right on!
1: Um, you know, obviously your listeners can't see me right now, but I'm sitting here shaking my head <laughs> the whole time you're talking, and because that buck is one of those bucks that you see and and you know he's big, you know he's special, but you really don't know everything that he's going on, he has yeah, going on until you walk up on him and you're like. Wow, look at that. I mean, you know, you've posted a, a picture of you holding the the buck there, and he's his rack's kind of out in front, and you can just see all of the different, you know, just awesomeness that that buck has. Yeah. It's, it's bladed out, you know, points and extras and bird up and gnarly and, and the beams that come off and then fork right at the end for another point. I mean, just one of those bucks that, that yeah. you know you're blessed to, one, get to see, Two get to hunt, and then three get to hold. Um, you know, it's just kind of the trifecta there that every coos deer hunter dreams about. So, and it's hats uh, yeah, like off to you and your hunters, man. You guys did a
0: fabulous job on getting that buck on the ground. Well, he almost slipped out. He almost, you know. And and the crazy thing, like Dar and I were talking today, it was you know, 50 to 75 yards from where we exactly videoed him, like, you know i'm a firm believer that that deer was there the whole time that he was just laying low that you know we had fairly warm temps that so, you know there wasn't a lot going on as far as rutting right around where the particular deer was there was actually a little you know within probably uh, sight of, of where we were glassing from you could actually see a couple little pockets where there was some running and he wasn't in any part of that my bet is he was just kind of laying low, probably sitting there across the ridge, five, 600 yards, watching us, probably watched us pull up and start laughing for him. Um, and, uh, yeah, just fortunate to be a part of it. But pretty cool to know that, you know, a buck like that just comes right back or never left. And, I, you know, I did a little short little five-minute little, little tip deal just saying, you know, and you've seen it so many times with these big bucks, they're right there i mean you can throw a hula hoop around him basically and he was right there and he was probably right there the whole time and you know it's so easy as hunters um for me how weak mentally i get and just go oh he's gone a lion got him you know you come up with all kinds of excuses and the reality is you need to just stay right there and know that that deer until you're proven otherwise that deer is right there
1: that that's that's for sure, and it's such a good reminder um, because we—it's human nature. It's what we do. You know, you get there and you hunt it day and another day and another day, and you don't see him, and you, your mind starts overcoming your confidence in what you know is actually right—that yeah. he's still probably there, or more than likely he will show back up because you've already seen him there. You know, he lives there. But that little doubt starts creeping in, and it's like, well, we better go over here and look for something else. And, and, you know, you're limited to amount of time. And, unfortunately, you have to make the best of that time that you can. And nine times out of ten, if we would just sit tight, sit on that spot, he's going to make a mistake, and you're going to get him killed or at least have an opportunity. But it's so hard to do, and it's such a good reminder that those big bucks especially, you gotta sit there. You gotta be in their home. They're gonna come back if they're not there already. So yeah,
0: great for point. Sure. Absolutely, man. Well, um, Phil, thanks for sharing with us. Um, you know, hope you hope you uh, draw out on the Arizona elk again. Your turkey you drew last year. You never know lightning might strike. You might get it two years in a row. Um, and look forward to uh, doing some turkey hunting uh, with you this spring. And wish you the best. And um, yeah thanks for thanks for sharing make sure you guys uh, go check out phil's um instagram that's kramer with a c c-r-a-m-e-r hunt uh on instagram and uh phil thanks buddy jay thank you i look forward to uh what this spring has to offer, and and the hunts we get to share,
1: and congratulations to you and Dar and all your hunters on a fabulous season, and thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, and take care, and God bless, my friend. All right, buddy. Take care.